This podcast is powered by SEM Wealth Management. SEM Wealth Management, where your faith, your values, and your investments align. Great day, everyone. Ed Dudley. Welcome to the journey, the financial advisor experience. I have my main man coming. I don't even know where he is today because he's pretty much all over the place. He's like Dora the Explorer half the time. Garland, what's going on, my brother? Hey, I'm doing well, Ed. Garland Scott coming to you from the Financial Planning Association meeting in Virginia Beach this time. Uh, If you can't tell by my backdrop, there are no Philadelphia Eagles hats behind my head. Thank God. yeah, shut your mouth. I, I'm, I'm in an empty, I'm in an empty conference room right now with a big light shining on my bald head. So if I'm blinding yeah. you, forgive me. Um, but hey, it's always good to to, to talk for a, for a few minutes, and uh, I think yeah. we have a pretty dynamic guest with us today. A very uh, interesting guest today. We do, we do. Greer is a wonderful woman, and we'll get into you know her background um, when we bring her in. But uh, she she posted something on LinkedIn that was very honest and i think it was very accurate about perceptions and around women and how men whether it's on purpose or unintentional how we speak to them Mm -hmm. and and we don't understand sometimes you know how damaging our words can be even though they may be well intended so we're going to get her perspective on that because um, we cannot understand unless we listen and have these conversations yeah so, you know, we we love to hear the journey of the financial advisors, but there are so many other stories in the financial industry that we need to share as well and bring on. And Greer is actually one of them. And I'm excited to bring in our friend. Hey, Greer, how are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Thanks for, for joining, joining us. us. We really, really appreciate it. Really appreciate it. So you and I have known each other since. Oof. 06. You guys are old. Uh, Is that right? Probably 07, which is when I graduated from college and started my job in the financial services industry. So we wouldn't, we would not name names. Um, but give us, give us your background. I know, um, you know, you were in Maryland. Now you are in, in the triangle area of North Carolina. Tell us a little bit about your history. Yes, I, Well, I started in the financial services industry when I was 22, straight out of college in Baltimore. I was working in a wirehouse setting and, um, you know, I worked for a few individual advisors as well as a team. And I switched firms while I was working there as well. And I just happened to be led down this path where I was working for a lot of advisors who were initiating transitions. And so I was doing transitions from the time I was about 23 years old and I kind of liked it, which I know like kind of makes me sound a little insane, but, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's like a, a transition is an experience. It's almost like a game to me. Um, and so eventually I left the wirehouse space with an advisor who started an RIA. I, served as the director of operations for that RIA for a few years in the Triangle area in Cary, North Carolina. And then I eventually left that firm and started my own. Um, And it's a firm solely based on helping advisors transition. And it's kind of nice now to be an entrepreneur, but uh, I am still an entrepreneur in a very male-dominated industry. So it's, it's been an interesting learning experience along the way. But um, yeah, I have about 15 years of experience in the financial services industry. So I feel like I'm highly qualified to talk about this topic. You certainly <laughs> are. You certainly are. All right. So let's, we're just going to get right after it. So three weeks ago, you posted something on LinkedIn. And when I read it, I literally called Ed and said, we need to have <laughs> guest immediately because he was trying to get you on that day he's like let's I was, find her if i could if i could have i would have um but your post embodies sort of the messaging we're trying to 
to convey on this podcast, which, you know, it isn't just, hey, Greer's a cool lady. She has a great business. She came from A, now she's at B. It is all of the hurdles, all of the perceptions that are out there. Um, this particular post just talked about the way you're being talked to or at and how that made you feel in that moment. And it was very honest. Um, it was very raw. Can you take us through, you know, you know, how that day started, what the trigger was and, and why you wrote it? Sure. Uh, well, I'll, I guess I'll start with um, this type of post for me on LinkedIn is not necessarily outside the box. I, I post a lot of raw things on LinkedIn. A lot of my content kind of comes from the heart or from experiences that happened and because I really want to relate to people. So I put up a lot of things on LinkedIn that some people might th think they might look at it and they say, oh, well, that's maybe more suited for Facebook. But every single post that I put has some sort of link to the business world. And so that's why I use LinkedIn as a platform, because I think the people that are responding to those posts are all also professionals a lot of them in my industry. And so I do often want to hear their opinions. And this particular post was something that just kind of crossed my mind while I was having a conversation with an advisor. And this conversation that I had, the way that it went down, it's happened to me so many times in my life that I can't, I like, I can't even count them. But I essentially was telling the advisor how my services work and what I do for advisors in transition. And I was talking about how I usually like to travel to their offices and kind of help them. And he said to me, oh, you travel? Like, how does that work with your family life? Do you know? And we kind of went through this whole conversation about how I have a very supportive but full-time working husband and yeah sometimes it's tough with kids at home to be able to travel like i do but at the end of the conversation i just thought to myself huh i wonder if men ever get that question from other men or from women because i don't really hear that conversation happening amongst men you know like there's a lot of men that i know in this industry you included garland that travel a lot and nobody's ever saying to them, oh, you know, how do you handle that with family at home? You know, like there's just this assumption that you have a spouse at home who is taking care of your children while you're traveling. And so it's it's not tough on you, although they might give credit to your spouse for being at home and it being tough on him or her, but they're not really assuming that it's tough on you and that it's affecting the way that you do business at all. So it just was interesting to me because the question kind of came across as, and I don't know if I was just taking it this way or if it was intended this way, but I kind of felt like the person was fishing for information about how committed to their project I was going to be when I was traveling because I have small children at home. And like, I don't want to tell people this because I don't like to set these expectations, but when I'm traveling for work, like I'm spending 12 hours, 12 plus hours a day in these people's offices because I don't know anybody where I'm traveling. I don't have anything else to do. If my kids are at home, like I am devoting every single waking moment to their project. And so it was interesting that they asked that question because I was like, actually, you know, when I'm working from home, I have much less availability and much less like time to commit to these projects because I do have children at home and I do have those schedules to be around, but I didn't want to bring that up either. So that's kind of what prompted the post. And I didn't want it to be a rant post. I didn't want to just go off and, and like start shouting about men and get all the people back to me saying, Oh, not all men, you know, but, um, I really wanted to open it up as a conversation and ask other women, do you have this same experience? But also like ask men, am I just not noticing it? Do people ask you these questions as well? Or is this just kind of like a gender role thing? And so I, I tried to be as political as possible with the way that I phrased the post, but it did open up a conversation. It was very interesting to read some of the comments. 
I can only imagine. I was never asked that question when I was traveling. Now, never. Matt and I have been doing this this stuff for you know more than 20 years. Not one time. Never. Not one time. No, and, and we both have kids and we both, right? Not yep. one time. Never not asked. One time. You know, Greer, you know, you know me. I travel for one day or I travel for a week at a time. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Never sure. had that question asked. Yeah. All right. So I'm I I pulled the post back up because there were a couple of really prophetic statements that were there. Um, and, and one of them is, you know, you, you mentioned that you've been in this business since you were 22 years old. And even before you knew it was a thing, you were experiencing sexism. Oh, for sure. <laughs> will, will you or can you share that? Or am I, am I getting a little bit too personal? Yeah. I mean, I entered the business in 2007 and it was, it was, you know, well before the Me Too movement and all of that. And I, I would say now that I'm a bit of a feminist, but I, and I probably always was a little bit, but also I was 22. I was entering into an industry that I had no interest in and no, and I knew nothing about. I had a marketing degree I was applying for all these entry-level positions. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And I just had my aunt come to me and say, oh, I used to work at you know one of these firms and I know that there's a position open, you should go interview for it. So I went and I did the interview and you know there were some things said in the interview even that I was like, oh, that doesn't sound totally normal. But at the same time, I don't really know what normal is because I'm a 22 year old interviewing for my first real job in the professional industry. And so I, you know, I got the job and I took the job. And I just kind of thought from then on that the things that I was experiencing were normal. But I would say, looking back, on it 15 years later, I can say, Ooh, yeah, there was a lot going on in that job and in that interview and everything that was just like totally not normal. All my bosses were men, like always. There was one woman uh, who was my HR manager and she did not treat everyone equally either. Um, I don't know how to say that in any other way than I felt like she had a personal vendetta against me. And the only thing that I could attribute it to was that I was young and new. And I just, I don't know. I I had been asked on (laughs) on multiple occasions in my job to change my clothes. And it was like, I wasn't wearing anything provocative or anything like that. It was just like somebody didn't like the, it was before I had gone out and bought any suits or anything. You know, everybody in the financial services industry is wearing suits. But when you're 22 years old, you start a new job in an office, you don't have a bunch of suits and you don't have a bunch of disposable income to go out and purchase suits. So I was wearing skirts and stuff. And I just, I remember very well one experience where I had leggings on under a dress and I was told by HR that the leggings made the dress too informal. And I I was very confused by the statement and and she said, "Can you please take the leggings off?" And I said, "Well, you know, I don't have anything on under the dress and it's I don't really feel comfortable being exposed like that." And she said, "Well, you know, can you go home and change?" And I was like, "Okay, well, my mom is coming to take me to lunch. I'll just ask her to bring me a slip." And so I changed my outfit and then another manager, another woman, literally an hour later, saw me walking by her office and she said, oh, Greer, where are your leggings? And I said, oh, I was asked to remove them. She said, what? And I said, yeah, I was told that they were too informal. And she said, that's ridiculous. (laughs) They were adorable. And who told you that? And, And so it was this kind of weird discrepancy about but I'm, you know, I've never seen a man be asked to change his outfit. But also, like, when you wear a suit, it's very easy for you to wear basically the same thing every single day. But as a woman, you wear the same thing every single day, you get judged. Um, and I don't know, this is a total aside. And like, stop me if I'm just going like off the rail. No, go, go ahead. Go, share. I saw this article once about this, this newscaster who wore the same exact blue suit every single day for an entire year 
on air and no one said a word. And he did it because he wanted to prove a point because apparently on Twitter, his co-anchor, who was a woman, she was getting, she was getting made fun of or she was getting, you know, like people were talking about her outfits and they would, they would talk about when she would repeat dresses and they would, they would point out flaws in her outfits. And so he didn't tell anyone what he was doing and he wore the exact same suit every day for an entire year. Not a single person noticed, which I thought was like a really, really powerful thing. And so like right off the bat in the financial services industry, which I think is getting a little bit better now, uh, especially with the RIA world and everything, like everybody's kind of starting to wear whatever it is that they want and they feel comfortable in, especially with the work from home. But back in 2007, it was suits all day long, especially the men, the advisors. I think that there were actually dress code, um, dress codes for the advisors at the office. And so blue suit, white shirt. Right. <laughs> and so when you have something that looks good on all men and that all men can wear, like it already kind of unbalances the playing field for women because like if you go to a store and you look at women's suits versus men's suits, like it's it's ridiculous. You can't just find a regular like black pinstripe uh, pantsuit for women. And when you do, like you can't buy 20 of them, <laughs> you know, like right. It's so like suits for women are all different colors and there's the skirts and the pants and, you know, there's the, the visual of wearing a skirt versus wearing pants and being too feminine or being too masculine. And, and so like, that's just like totally one example of me feeling off kilter in the financial services industry from the start. I won't even tell you how many men asked me out on dates in my first month at that firm. And I was let's just talk, like, let's talk about me? that. Yeah. Let's talk about that because you, we, you and I have, you know, we've had, you know, that those kind of discussions and not just men asking you out on dates, you know, because you're the, the new young woman in the office, but even the perception that you were dating somebody because you hung out with them too much. Oh, Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it, you know, I've, <laughs> asking someone out while you're working is kind of a weird thing to do. And it happened so often that I just, I didn't even realize that it was not, you know, I felt that internal kind of struggle to, that I was like uncomfortable with the situation, especially because some of these people were like, not direct reports or anything or superiors to me, but they were superior to me in their titles. And so I, it felt weird turning them down in my workplace, but it also felt weird that they were even bringing something like that up in my workplace. And, you know, I was 22 years old. Uh, when, when people would do happy hours, I would go to happy hour. Like that is just something that I would enjoy doing. I, I, like making friends and having fun with my coworkers and and stuff like that and there were a few times where conversations also got a little bit dicey in those situations even more so i think because the advisors were a little bit more emboldened and i think i told you this story garland like i there was a situation one time where an advisor i had switched teams so I was no longer working for a single advisor and another advisor in the firm asked me if I had been sleeping with my boss. And I was so taken aback by the question that I didn't even, I, I didn't know how to answer it. I said, oh, no. <laughs> and he gave me a look like I was lying. And I was like, why would, why on earth would I sleep with my boss? And he was like, oh, I thought that was common knowledge. It was, it's a, it was the rumor going around as to why you stopped working for him. And I just, I, when you are like asked by a colleague something and told that it is common knowledge that you are screwing your boss, 
and working for him at the same time and that you threw a fit over something and decided not to work for him anymore like that cuts really really deep when you are when you're a young woman trying to make it not only in a man's world but in a very male dominated industry and trying to be taken seriously and and like not wanting to be tied to other people so like I'm getting emotional just even like telling that story because he said it so nonchalantly like it was something that everybody believed and everybody thought was true and like it had never even crossed my mind in all the years that I had been working to ever sleep with my boss (laughs) or pursue that or you know it's so I'll stop there and I'll, I'll let you weigh in on that because I know like there's so many other situations that I can talk about and experiences that I have like that, but it you know, like, I don't know if that is, if that happens in all industries or not. Um, I, it felt very uncomfortable, uncomfortable, com- uncomfortable to me all the time, but I also, there was a lot of gaslighting going on as well. If I ever reacted to something in a way that, that someone else thought was, I don't know, there was a lot of, oh, you're just overreacting or, oh, I didn't mean it like that. Or, oh, you know, like there's no reason to be offended. How can you not be offended by someone saying that everybody believes you're sleeping with your boss? So there was no way out of this. You were, you were already in a corner. So you're telling me, you know, you're 22, got to change your clothes. Too provocative, too casual. You're telling me you are unable to participate in, you know, company or branch events without a stigma being built. You're telling me that your association to colleagues leads to rumor that is not only false, but damaging. And then that your retort upon being questioned is now met with skepticism. That is one heck of a... That's one heck of a way to try to exist at a firm. First of all, at any age, let alone at that age. That's that's incredible yeah. to me. Ed, yeah. you want to weigh in on this? I mean, there's so many different places to go with that. Um, Greer, um, as you sit and think back, um, can you observe some other things from uh, happening to other women in the office while you were there? And do you have any stories to share there? Because I know your your story is not an isolated incident. No. By no stretch of imagination. I've witnessed a lot of crazy things that are happening. And at a younger age, I was just like, mm, okay. But as I've gotten right. older and sat back and I'm like, wow. Like I had one manager. And I think it's something with the Maryland area that um, I used to wholesale. <laughs> but what he used to tell me, he said, um, we went to his office for a visit and um, it was cold. I mean, his office was like really, really cold. He said, yeah, I, I purposely turned the air completely down. So the women are cold. I won't go any further than that. Nope. We can, we can, sort of, we can leave. You can, you are, we'll leave it. We'll leave it like that. But I'd love for you to, you know, some of the other things that you witnessed from other women as well. Yep. I mean, I do want to weigh in on the temperature thing because the thermostat wars are a real thing in office settings. And it is, it's another one of those things that, that tips the scales in the favor of men because of clothing reasons, even like if you are a man wearing a suit jacket over a long sleeve shirt and pants and like high socks every single day, of course, you're going to be warm in you know, temperatures over 68 degrees. But if you're telling women that the most appropriate thing for them to wear are skirts or nice dresses or whatever it is, like our legs are exposed and we have much more skin exposed. And and even just like clothing in general for women, any of it is going to have much more skin exposed. And we are usually smaller people. And so if you are trying to keep an office cold 
it's already there's already going to be an imbalance there as well and so like the thermostat wars are a real thing and that really like um i've i've had that situation in pretty much every office setting i have ever worked in um but as far as the other women experience yeah i would say that looking back now after that particular conversation that i had with that advisor i I almost feel guilty myself because there were always rumors going around the office about, um, you know, women and some of the advisors or their bosses and stuff. And, and I think back to that now and I go, well, I legitimately thought that rumor was probably true because it was just, it was said so often and it was, and it was so nonchalant. But then I think back to exactly what that advisor said and he goes, oh, I just thought that was common knowledge. And I think to myself, well, it's couldn't be further from the truth. So now I feel bad, like assuming that some of those rumors back in the day might have been true for other for other situations and very well could have been not true at all. And I, d- I don't think I was necessarily judging anybody for their choices, but I definitely probably had a different, you know, opinion of them thinking that they were sleeping with their bosses. So I I even have that kind of guilt factor looking back on it. And I would say that there were a lot of, there were were a lot of times where I would be speaking with other women and I would mention something in passing and they would corroborate my story with one of their own, generally about one or two particular people in the office that would say or do things that were inappropriate that no one ever seemed to call them on. And I got a lot of, I had, there were a lot of stories of people saying, oh yeah, I had that same experience or, oh yeah, I got that same thing. And, and so it kind of emboldened me a little bit then, but at the same time, there was still nothing I could really go do about it, especially when my HR manager was not someone I felt comfortable having conversations with about these things because I felt like I, you know, HR is a, I would never want to be in HR. Like that job is hard. It sucks. It's you're dealing with people all the time. You're dealing with people's trauma all the time. Like I get it. But when you show favoritism and you, you (laughs) perpetuate stigmas, then you're creating an environment where people don't feel comfortable coming to you and actually talking to things, talking to you about things that matter and make them uncomfortable. And so it's nothing's ever really going to change in those cases. And so I think it was kind of like a systemic issue, at least in multiple cases in offices that I worked in. And, you know, when I left the corporate setting and started working for two individuals, in a small firm setting, there were still situations that I, that weren't great and there was no HR to turn to at all in those cases. And so it's just, I know I didn't give any specifics of others' experiences, but I will tell you that others are having those experiences for sure. Well, that's, that's why we're here talking about this because we know, we know that it's not you, it's not just you. we know that this story is going to resonate with a whole lot of people, which is a sad testimony to where we still are, still are. Um, Ed mentioned or tapped on something that, that it hit me kind of square in the chest. You know, when we wholesale, we got to see some of this stuff, right? And age or no age or whatever it is, I'm, as, I'm guilty for this. We muzzled ourselves. Mm-hmm. We, didn't, we didn't say anything. We didn't speak up on behalf of anybody. We didn't go and tell an HR person or a branch manager or what have you that, hey, this is kind of, this might be over the line or at least at the line. Um, cowardly, Frank, frankly, you know, just cowardly, not willing to take a step out and say, no, this is wrong. I see something that's, that's incorrect. We were worried about our bottom lines. Literally. If you think about it, we were worried about our bottom lines because if we right. did say step up and say something, um, we're, we're potentially not getting any business, not from the, just that advisor, pr- probably that whole office. Yep. Yeah. So straight and cowardly. Yeah. Cowardly. Just ca- I, I wouldn't call it cowardly. I would call it 
more just complacency, you know, if, and that's, that's why this, that's why today we're in a, a better position than we were back then. Um, improvements all the time. I myself, you know, it took me a long, long time. It took me over a decade in this industry to even really recognize some of the sexism, some of the racism and some, you know, just everything about this industry. And it's taken me until very recently to start speaking up about it and pointing it out when it happens and being an advocate for others. So it's not, you can't blame yourself. You can only just take your experiences and try to use them going forward to make situations better for others. If someone had spoken up for me, it it probably would have changed a lot for me. It probably would have, you know, it would have made things a lot different, but I was also not speaking up for others when I saw it either. So it was, it you know, you kind of, in a, in a money business, when everybody is kind of precariously trying to look out for themselves, you're not necessarily in an environment where you are set up to look out for others as well. And, and that is one thing that I do believe is very specific to the financial services industry. I'm sure that there are other industries where it is similar, but the financial services industry is very unique. I have always said this to everyone. I think they're about 10 years behind everybody else in almost everything. Technology, for sure. Um, processes and procedures. Um, you know, uh, sexism, obviously. 4% of, what did you say, Garland? 4% of the FPA are women? CFPs, yeah, four percent of the people women. that have that have CFPs in our industry are are women. I was I was alarmed by that, just frankly. And I and I thought, I really thought it had gotten much bigger. It was a much bigger number. I, I was absolutely flabbergasted to hear that that stat this morning. I so, think, I think it's getting better because we are all starting to talk about it a little bit more. But it's but there's a lot of lag time in something like that. And I think that the financial services industry still like 10 years behind everybody else. I think it will take another 10 years before we see the actual real results of our efforts to, to call things out today. And so I think there is a, there's a lot more time that we are going to need before we see those improvements, but I think that the system has been set up for so long for women to, I wouldn't say fail, but for women to not succeed in the financial services industry just because of the way, well, just because of the way that it's always been done, you know? And one of the most dangerous phrases that I, that you could ever say is, but this is how we've always done it. And the financial services industry is big on that well this is the way we've always done it and um you know when you have regulatory bodies who are weighing in on everything that you say and do and everything that you put out to the world and those regulatory bodies are very rooted in rules and procedures that are not up to date and are not <laughs> that are written probably by a bunch of old white men, um, you know, they're not going to be keeping up with the times and the younger generation of advisors wants to come in and be able to run their businesses and communicate with their client base the way that the rest of the world is. And the financial services industry is not set up to be able to do that well. And so it's, it's I think it's damaging some of the brand a little bit and it's it's removing some of those people who would otherwise be real assets to the industry it's making them not as successful as they could be it's it's kind of silencing their voices a little bit a lot of women as well one thing that i have noticed since starting my own business and i won't even go into like how 
how difficult it has been since starting my own business and trying to erase all of the learned behaviors from this industry that I had about my self-worth, about um, boundaries, about service offerings. Like that's a whole, like we could do an entire podcast episode just about that, but- um, And maybe we will. <laughs> maybe we will, yes. It's, um, but I mean, it, it, you know, it's, I got a lot, when I first started my business and I just started telling everybody what it was that I was doing, I was trying to kind of fit in and be what everybody else was in the industry, you know, like I, I put up a website with stock photos, lots of blues and greens and, and, you know, like I, I just, I had very like descriptive paragraphs and, and stuff like uh, describing everything. And every time that I would talk to people about what I wanted to do, I got a lot of, well, that's not really how it's done, or I wouldn't suggest that. And then like men just steamrolling me and telling me, oh no, I don't think the way that you're doing it is right. You should do it this way. And, and to me at first, I took a lot of that advice and I tried to change my business model to meet that advice because I thought that me getting feedback from others was going to help me, but I don't know when it clicked, but one day it just clicked. And I said, you know what, why am I taking the advice from these men? Like these men are calling me because they have a problem that they need to fix and they're asking me to help them, but then they're trying to give me advice about how to run my business. So one day it just clicked and I said, screw it. I don't wanna be like everybody else. I don't want stock photos on my website. I don't want blues and greens. Like I want some like pinks. And I changed the background on my LinkedIn photo immediately. And then I put up a post about it that was basically like a hey, yeah, look, everybody, I changed the background on my LinkedIn photo. It is now bright pink because pink is badass and because I want to be different and I want to stand out. And then I immediately went and I redid my entire website and I took all the stock photos down. I took all the like dark blues and greens and all that crap out. And I put up a ton of pictures of me <laughs> because I am my business. Like I am the brand and... I didn't want to sell a product or a service anymore. I wanted to sell me. And as soon as I did that, the floodgates just opened and I realized, hey, I am a relatively still young woman in this industry and I don't want to follow the norms. I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to stand out. I want to make this all about me. I want to be a subject matter expert. And so I'm going to be. And so... I just had to start reworking every single piece of content and every single social media profile that I had to match that new criteria and that new me. And it skyrocketed my business and it skyrocketed my confidence. It allowed me to start being a little bit more choosy about my projects, to raise my prices, to start posting things on LinkedIn and to continue to do so. Last year, I posted something on LinkedIn almost every single weekday because I made myself a New Year's resolution and I said, this is what I'm gonna do. And, you know, I had I had advisors from my past, from now, um, you know, advisors twice my age, reaching out to me and saying like, how are you doing this? How are you making people like, comment on your posts how are your posts getting so many views like how how are you doing this how are you marketing yourself to make it so to, to make people want to come and talk to you and I said because I stopped focusing on the product and started focusing on me and what I provided to the industry and what I had to offer and it completely changed everything. And that's when I decided like, I'm not taking advice from these men anymore. Like, no offense, <laughs> but not take it. <laughs> if your advice doesn't line up with my values or my goals, then I'm going to just 
write it off and not think about it anymore and not feel like your feedback is somehow telling me that I'm not doing something right or that I should be doing something differently because I, I know who I am now. I know the message I want to convey. I know the, the market that I want to reach. And I know that I don't want to work with those advisors anymore that were like the ones that I used to frequently work with. You know, I want to work with the next generation. I want to work with the ones that want to be different and stand out. And I mean, I'll take a pause in just a second, but <laughs> I always say like, once my content started reaching a larger audience, it, uh, I started getting calls all the time from RIAs who want to recruit. And so some of them would call me and say, oh, we want you to recruit for us. And I would have to explain that I wasn't a recruiter, even though like, if you look at anything that I- Clearly uh, you're not a recruiter. Yeah, like I am not a recruiter, but some of them were just assuming I was a recruiter without doing any amount of research whatsoever because advisor transition services sounds like it, that's what it would be. And because nobody was really focused on the actual like helping advisors transition, they were focused more on like getting paid to place advisors. Mm -hmm. And so I can't tell you how many advisors have told me you should be doing recruiting. You'd make so much more money. And I was like, I'm like, okay, well, thanks. But I, that's not what I want to do. Um, but I started getting all of these firms reaching out to me and asking me to recruit for them or asking me to send business their way when I came across an advisor who needed help. And I was just like the audacity of these people to reach out to me and say, like, I don't know you, you don't know me, but you should. You owe me something. Right. And for them to, you know, and I would always ask, okay, what's your differentiator? And they would start rattling off how they have a great tech stack and their open architecture and they're great with pricing and they offer marketing and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, but what's your differentiator? And like, none of them could ever tell me that. You know, some of them, yes, I've gotten some who will call me and you know that it's going to be a good conversation when they say, I want to learn more about your business because I think that you might be able to help mine. And those conversations I always know are going to go well. It's the ones where they say, oh, you know, this is what we do. I want to talk to you about it. And I, and I'm one of those people still that is kind of a people pleaser and kind of like a, okay, well, the more people who know what I do, the better. So I'll talk to pretty much anybody. But those conversations were always the exact same, you know, and I would hang up the phone and I would immediately forget who they were and what they did. And, 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 and that was it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I wrote an article. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop there and see if you have any. No, 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 no. This is good. We call this content. This is what we need. <laughs> So go ahead and tell us about your tell us about your article. <laughs> so I read an article on kitsis.com um on his blog a few years mm -hmm. ago at the very beginning of my business. And it was it was this whole article about tra about trans advisors transitioning. And I was like, oh great, this is gonna give me a lot of great information. Maybe I'll be able to like reuse some of it for content and like create my own pieces. Um so I read the entire thing and it was an entire article about all the things that you need to do to start an RIA. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, these are all really great tips. And then the article ended and I was like, well, where's all the information about the actual like transfers, like, uh, you know, like opening up accounts, transferring them, like client communications, managing that whole process. And, I realized like, well, the, it's not there. So I wrote a follow-up article and submitted it to Kitsis and he responded and he said, yep, we definitely need this, um, but here are my edits. And he basically handed me this like red document. Okay. <laughs> and, it, and I was like, okay, great. But the best advice he ever gave me was um, all these things you tell them to do, do them for you them and then put them on your website and you will become the subject matter expert and they will have to come to your website for all these resources always. That was the best advice he ever gave. Um, 
you know, I don't always agree with every single thing that Kitsis says, but he is very notorious for giving a lot away for free and providing immense value to others and benefiting from that. And so that's what I also started doing. Um, but I wrote this follow-up article and it was posted. And before I, he posted it, he said, I hope you're prepared. And I said, I don't know what you mean. And he said, when I post this, you are going to be swamped with incoming communications. And I was just like, okay. Um, you know, I just, I was like, all right, like that sounds a little macho of you. Like, <laughs> but I didn't really realize the effect that he had on the industry at the time. Um, and he was absolutely right. And when he posted it, I was in the middle of a transition. I was in an advisor's office and all of a sudden, like literally everybody was like, what is that? Because like my emails were just going ding, ding, ding. And my phone was going off. And because I have my email address and my phone number on my website for everyone to see. And so it was, it, it was a crazy experience, but you know, like I got a call from Ron Carson's office and they were like, Oh, you know, we read your article. It's great. Blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, we would love it if you would set us up with a few conversations with some of these advisors. And I was like, at first, when they said Ron Carson, I was like, oh my gosh, I've made it. Like, this is it. I'm at the top. And and then I realized they were asking me to recruit for them for free. And I was like immediately defensive and a little annoyed and angry, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and then a lot of th that started happening a lot. And I realized it was just like this thing, like people identify an opportunity and they want to I wouldn't say exploit, but they want to take advantage of that opportunity, but they're doing it without offering any real value to the other person. They're just, they're recognizing that it would be good for them. And so um, they think just by telling me about them that I'm going to be immediately impressed and want to send business their way. And that happens so often that I can't even begin to tell you. And so I just like started working with a independent recruiter and just saying, oh, that conversation is for this person <laughs> instead right. of for me. But um, yeah. A couple, things that, a couple things that jump out at me through that whole story was, first of all, the presumption, the gall, right? To to not only not recognize that you are a business owner, but to both do two things, to try to get you to not run your business and come work for them. And, and also to try to elicit some sort of free service out of you and then have the expectation that you're gonna do it just because they asked. Those two things are incredible to me. And the other thing that jumps out to me is, is the it's all about confidence. Not confirmation, it's conforming. Confirmation is not the right word. Conforming. Ed and I talk about this a lot. But people want you to conform to their standard. Right? When you talk about people calling you for your services and then telling you how to do what you do best, that's what that is. That is, hey, this is the way we've done it on our in our website. This is the way we post on LinkedIn. And you should be conforming to how we are doing it. So you're going to get, this should be on Facebook. This should be on Instagram, right? By the way, Ed, we have a lot of blue and green on our screen. A lot of it. <laughs> Leave me a lot of blue and green. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, you know, it's, that's the thing that, that stands out to me is, is and I don't want to say it's disrespectful, but it is a little disrespectful. When it is. It's a little disrespectful. When people, when they're not honoring who you are and, and you're clearly messaging to them, I am this person, this is my business. I am a content expert. I'm a subject matter expert. And they don't care. They still want it their way. And that is, that's the essence of, I think the last, you know, 20 minutes of what, we've been, what you've been telling us is that, you know, this has got, this is the part that needs to stop, right? This is the part where let's stop making assumptions and being presumptuous about things like this. And let's start looking at Greer as, hey, not just this person is going to come work for you, but 
like, no, I'm a pretty powerful, pretty knowledgeable, pretty reputable business owner. And I kind of know what's going on more than you do. Sorry. Right. Am I wrong with that? Right. Not at all. Let me pivot your, to this. Your audio is a little off. Yeah. Though. Your audio is your audio's a little, yeah, it definitely is a little off. You're a little staticky. Hang on. It might be this. We got to get Garland I mean, I tune. caught everything you said, but I don't know that the, I don't know we that the recording yeah, sounds great. But we got to get him to invest in some better equipment. All I got is my <laughs> Can you hear me now? It's still, you're still a little staticky. Hey, hey, ask a question while I fix myself up. <laughs> I don't know if you could do that. Um, but <laughs> Greer, um, you know, one of the things as I was, I was sitting here thinking is you spend so much time in this office with these advisors and the assistants. And I know there are so many associates and assistants out there that have some similar stories. Um, what message would you want to land with them? If you had, you know, you're standing in front of a bunch of registered uh, sales assistants, um, support staff that are women, what would you want to share with them? I would want to share that they are worth every penny that they make and probably a lot more and that they should really start to try and understand for themselves what their worth is, what their contribution is, what their value is to the team and to demand to be compensated and recognized for that because you know I I part of my struggle now as a business owner is that I was always a paid salaried employee and I will say that I was never really making very much money and so the I had to rewrite my own history of self self-worth you know when you when you're paid a certain amount or a certain hourly amount, and then you go, okay, well, I want to do this for myself. Like naturally you go, okay, well, I want to make a little bit more money. So I'm just going to kind of like give myself a small raise, but that's not really how entrepreneurship works. It's not how consulting works. And so I really had to, it took me, it's still taking me, I still woefully undercharged sometimes, but, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult. Well, it's, it's very common to get stuck in a position where you don't feel like your contribution is that special and you have to ask to be properly compensated or to be rewarded for reaching certain points in your career. You have to ask for promotions and stuff like that. It's, it's not as well defined in the financial services industry especially when you're in a small business setting. Um, so I would say like really evaluate yourself, what you feel you're worth, what your contribution is and, and really take that to the table and make sure that that's understood in the situation and that you're being treated like an equal and treated like your opinion matters and your wants and needs matter um, because it can get lost in this, in this industry. And um it's just, we have to rewrite a lot of history and it starts by us standing up for ourselves first. And then other people also standing up beside us and supporting us standing up for ourselves. Yeah. Now on the flip side, what you got a bunch of advisors and you're speaking on behalf of all the registered associates, what would you say to the advisors that are sitting out there? I would say that when you are looking for team members and you're looking for those who are gonna help you run your business, because I would say something that's unique about the financial services industry is that it really always kind of feels like your business, even when you're working for maybe a wirehouse setting or something like that, you're still kind of running your own practice within a business, even if you're taking a salary. So you really have to think about what image you are portraying and what your brand is. And so you want to be able to work with people who can properly reflect that and 
you want to make sure that those people are taken care of and that they're on the same page as you are and that everybody can kind of work together towards a common goal and that you're treating them fairly and properly and that you're looking out for them, not only with the things that you say, but also the way that they're treated by others. So be an advocate, really take a look at you and your business and figure out exactly what you need for it and who is best to serve that role and then treat them well. You know, it's just, that's all it really, there really is to it is like treat them well and make sure that you understand when something is going on with them that is making them uncomfortable and that you've changed that environment for them. Everybody wants to be able to feel safe in their working environment. A lot of times we spend more hours in a day working and being with these people we work with than we do sometimes with our own families in our own homes. And so why wouldn't you want that experience to be a good one for everyone, including yourself? Well said. Mr. Garland, any final questions, thoughts? Uh, first of all, can you guys hear me? Yes, that's much better. Yeah, we hear you better. Good, had to get my earbud out of there. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what else I can ask beyond that because that was so prophetic. Um, I just wanna thank you because we don't get we don't get to have this kind of honesty all the time and honesty can be very challenging right you expose yourself and people are critical oh well she's just complaining she's got to ask the right we hear that stuff all the time I mean, it's sort of a no-win situation as opposed to taking the position of okay well let's let me reflect and you know and see if I'm part of this problem, you know, I, I think I told you over the phone, Greer, I was like, I could be easily, I could have easily been the person that triggered that, that post <laughs> easily, easily. And just, just stupid and, and ignorant of, of what that would have meant. And so I applaud the fact that you are unafraid to be yourself and unafraid to publicly be you know, exposed and knowing that you're going to get this kind of criticism. Um, we don't get that candor very often. So, yeah. and we really appreciate you being on this podcast to, to share. Definitely it. do. Um, I think if, if you don't mind, I think there's probably a part two in this somewhere. Um, the cool part is, is that hopefully our platform will get, you know, enough eyes on it so that, you know, there is a 22 year old Greer somewhere that's going to listen to this and go, oh, you were, what do you mean this isn't normal? Like you were saying, you know, back then, what do you mean I shouldn't be at being asked this, these questions or put in these positions or, um, you know, made to feel as if I'm somehow inadequate because just of, you know, how I look and who I am. So that's, that's kind of our mission and you nailed it. This has been great. This has been one of the better ones we've done. Um, and we can only get that by you being, being you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. And I, I, you know, like some of this stuff, I don't always love talking about, but I find it very important and I find it, I, I find it helps others when I hear, when I hear stories like this, it helps me. And so if, yeah, if there's a 22 year old me out there who I can help learn the lessons that it took me 15 years to learn in a much shorter period of time, then I, you know, more conversations, the more conversations, the better. And I'm going to continue to do that on LinkedIn. I find that the majority of the responses I get on LinkedIn are positive. And I would say that the Although the more popular the post, I do get trolls, which is crazy on LinkedIn. You can always, you can always get them. Yep. But the funny thing about the trolls is that they're never anybody that actually knows me. They're, they're never a first connection. They're never someone that has met me. They're never anybody that knows anything about me. They're just people that are scrolling and looking for a fight. And so those ones are really easy to write off. 
although I, I like to respond to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like disturbed by that. Not I don't shy away. I'm, I wouldn't say that I am necessarily like one to create a lot of controversy, but I'm also not really one to shy away from it when it's unjust. Good for you. Yeah. Ed, you want to take us home? Well, this has been another, this is just part of her journey uh, with Greer. We thank you for having um, the courage to actually speak out. There's so many people, you know, just sit in silence and just keep going with the flow. Um, we need more people that are going to disrupt the the ordinary flow. That's the only way we get changed. So thank you for joining us today. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. We look forward to engaging with you. Um, and we always say, if there's any way that any one of us can serve you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're all on LinkedIn. So good day, good night, good afternoon, whenever you're listening. To Take care, everybody. Take care. Thanks.